Welcome back to the program. Father Nigel, would you please lead us in a scripture reading and a prayer? I'd like to begin with Mark 3, verse 1 through, five, uh, through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue. There was a man there who had a withered hand. They watched him closely to see if he could cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Come up here before us. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath rather than to do evil, to save life rather than to destroy it? But they remained silent. Looking around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately took counsel with the Herodians against him to put him to death. Gracious God, we ask your blessings on us this day. That we might, again, be open to the movements of the Spirit in our lives. That we might really accept your power into our lives. That we might do your will in all things. And so, again, bless us, all those who are speaking, listening today, with these graces we ask through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Nagel. Today on the program, we have lots uh, to cover. Today we are um, reflecting on really that the beginning, that passage. Now that passage um, for me has a lot of meaning, but today also has a lot of meaning. Now it's a Monday this program is being heard on, but today, the day we're recording is actually Thursday, the 19th of January. Now, Father, why is Thursday the 19th, I'm sorry, uh, Thursday the 19th of January, actually just say the 19th of January, a big deal? Oh, a trick question. He yeah, like, I, I don't. Well, I can say, I, you can I'm ask blanking. Michelle. Ask Michelle. Why is today a special? Could it be day? an anniversary? Why is today unlike other days. Is it an anniversary? It is the anniversary of, of Sacred what? Heart Radio. Sacred Heart Radio. Yes, maybe? it's the 22nd yes, anniversary of Sacred Heart Radio. We all know that. Yeah, going on the air. That's amazing. That's Isn't that's that wonderful. Exciting? It is actually 22. Is it 22 years? How long is it? How? 22 years. 22 years. Okay. Yes. Wow. And yeah, I've been so here for it's, um, 15 or 16. At least 15. Yeah. So Yeah. I'm in my 16th year, so. And so yeah, it's an amazing thing. And, and in fact, that gives us a sense of what it is we're going to talk about today. So today on the program, Father Nagel, with the uh, anniversary in char with the anniversary date right in front of us, I thought, you know what? It would be great for us to reminisce a bit, but to do so in a way that isn't just um, bringing out memories, but right. bringing out memories that are connected to things that are impactful for the folks that are listening. Because folks, we're always here, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're always here to have what it is we say impact your lives in a way that's going to encourage you, inspire you, maybe challenge you and convict you, uh, or help you to live your faith in a way that allows you to flourish in this world. So, Father, um, as we dive into this program, we're doing so, uh, I had to start with Mark chapter 3 verse 1 to 6. It's the story of the man with the withered hand that gets healed by Jesus in the synagogue. And for me, I don't know if you knew this, but Mark 3, 3, which is in one translation, rise and come forward. It's Jesus saying to the man with the withered hand in the synagogue, rise and come forward, which in Greek is rise and come and stand in the middle of everybody. Come out of the crowd and stand here right in the middle of everybody. And that passage is the scripture that was the way of, um, I call it a motto or call it our, our, our thematic statement for the ministry that I launched, oh. uh, My Catholic Faith Ministries. It was Rise and Come Forward. Oh. And the idea was, or the, the motivational insight here was, that there are many Catholics who come to church, but who live a withered hand existence. Mm -hmm. And that withered hand existence is that they're missing out on what the Lord wants to do in their lives, what he intends to do in their lives. The, the inheritance of blessings, the, the goodness that the Lord wants to bring to their lives, but so often they are practicing their faith in a way that makes them feel anonymous. Mm -hmm. It makes them feel lost in the crowd. 
And it's the encounter with Jesus who says, I don't see a crowd, I see you. I don't just look and see a whole bunch of folks in front of me hearing this message. No, I see the individual, I see you, and I'm going to look at you, I'm going to point at you, I'm going to call you out, I'm going to say, come out of the crowd, come and stand here right in the middle of what is, it looks like a, a big group of people, and I'm going to speak to you, and not just speak to you, but I'm going to end your withered hand existence, and in doing so, make you a sign and a wonder of what happens when someone listens to my call and responds and allows me to do what I intend to do in their lives. Mm. So that Mark 3.3, rise and come forward, is for me a very powerful way of expressing the, the call that I've felt in ministry, that so many Catholics have a withered hand existence, practicing their faith because they feel like they're an anonymous member of a crowd, and they're not seen named, known, and called forth by Jesus. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's a powerful um, origin story, so to speak, of your ministry. I think it's very true in all sorts of levels, um, what you mentioned about the experience. What, what sprang to mind when you were telling the story of, of, of how you envisioned your ministry and the, the basis of it and how Christ calls us, in terms of withered hand, I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I probably was in third, fourth grade or something. And my, one of my younger brothers, we were at the store. It was summer. I remember it was hot. And uh, we were just in our shorts and probably barefoot for all I know in Pendleton, Oregon. And there was a, a girl with her boyfriend, probably high school age, and she had a withered hand. Um, it was, a, you know, again, it, it, it was all bent back. It was, it was, there, was some, there was a birth defect. There was some, something that had gone horribly wrong. And... Obviously, it, she probably was very self-conscious about this hand that was uh, malformed and, and bent and strange. But my little brother, you know, he was he was pre-filter age, and he was just kind of stared at the hand because he'd never seen anything like this or anybody with that withered hand. And the boyfriend yelled at him, kind of say, "What are you looking at?" I'm trying to defend this girl uh, with her with her hand. And my brother just was kind of stunned, and he just didn't say anything. He just kind of turned away and um, was intimidated and left. But I was thinking about that in terms of partially, why do we not go forward? Why don't we come out? And I think there is this sort of, I don't want to be seen, or I, um, the withered hand, I'm, there's an embarrassment element to this. I don't know enough. I'm too big of a sinner. I, um, I, there's all sorts of reasons why I, I suspect the man with the withered hand was uncomfortable when Jesus told him to come forward. Now, I mean, he made him hopeful because at some level he had probably heard about Jesus and wanted to be there because maybe the hand would get healed. But he wasn't real sure, and he was used to being looked at and in a, in a negative way. And I think that that's, there's, a, there's a psychological element there that I think that the people that we're trying to call out are possessing, and I think that's something we shouldn't forget, is that um, it's not easy to come out uh, at all either. So for those of you who are leading uh, anonymous existence as Catholic Christians, um, I realize that, it, again, it, it takes faith and courage to do it, but it, there is this call. Jesus wants you to come forward. So that, that's what, it's a long answer, but that's what came forward to me when you were talking. You know, I, I love that uh, because it's, uh, you have an actual experience of someone with a withered hand, and, and so that makes it so much more real. Mm -hmm. And um, highlighting the fact that there are things that want to make us stay hidden mm -hmm. is um, is really striking. I think that that is one of the things that holds back so many Catholics from going to confession. Mm -hmm. That the essence of the um, like the essence of the of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation is associated with the names, right? So mm -hmm. one calls it reconciliation. What's a, that's a proper name. This is what the catechism says. Because the principal action of God is to extend mercy that reconciles, that restores the relationship with God. But it uh, is also properly called confession because the principal act of, confe uh, of this sacrament as it relates to our side is the coming out into the open 
at that place where we have betrayed our relationship with God and accusing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that act of coming out of hiding into the open, being transparent and accusing ourselves, not defending ourselves, where we have fallen short, settled for less, and betrayed our relationship with God through our thoughts, words, deeds, or omissions, that's a very difficult thing to do. And as and powerful, according to Mark 3, and very powerful for healing. I mean, how many times... Um, Sometimes you have to kind of coax the, the penitent to, to say it. You kind of know what they're going to say, but they have to say it. Um, and I also love when people bring things that say, you know, I'm not sure this is sin, but I want to mention it anyway, because when I do, I bring it out of the dark into the light, and the healing can take place and powerful things can happen. So I do think that there's, that, there's a power just to bring it out. I'd also say this, though. I, I think that that same feeling that keeps people from confession can also uh, keep us from speaking about our faith to others. There's a shame of I don't know enough. I'm ignorant. Um, I you know I don't I don't believe well enough. I'm not a good enough person. So I, we don't speak for the faith. We don't make the comment. Lots of sins of omission there in terms of we were silent as people were misrepresenting the church or Jesus or something. We can't. We can't witness, and, and that's again, we're losing a, a great chance of gaining strength because just a simple witnessing, it, it, even if we fumble with words or, or we're put down or something, is a huge healing and growth and spiritual life there that's available. That that, that shame that keep, once keeps us want to be anonymous and in the crowd that keeps us from gaining that grace. So I think there's a there's a there is a common dynamic there. Well, and Father, you, I mean, you're so often uh, interacting with penitents, and so what I'd like you to do is identify names and sins, right, of people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and John Smith, you know, John, if you're listening, let me just give you some words. By the way, Father, here, here's a very practical question. If someone were to come to you in a public setting and say, hey, Father, you know, I was just with you at confession before Mass, and you said this to me, what did you mean? Can you, ref- can you respond to that person? I would say, why don't we talk about this? Um, why don't you know? We'll, we can talk about this later, but in private. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but in a private setting, if they say, "I just want a confession to you," and oh, I want I to reference, saying. no, that's a tricky thing. That's a tricky thing, Pastoral, because what happens sometimes is people. Let's say it's a face-to-face confession, and so you know who this is, and they're talking about their health problems or their marriage problems or something, and then they're in the midst of a confession, and then. They expect you to know that and act upon that outside confession and maybe refer to it again and, and offer them some sympathy or to ask them how it's going and things. And if they, what I usually would do if they bring that up that way would say, really, where, where did, when did we do that? If they say it's in confession, out, if, it's, if they say it was in confession, I say, well, you know, we can't do that. But um, uh, you'd have to, you know, talk to me. You have to, you have to express what you said in the confession outside of confession, then we can talk about it, um, which seems kind of uh, jumping through a hoop, but you have to do that. If they don't even say that, but they, they never themselves bring up that uh, the interaction was in confession, then you can ask questions. When did we say that? You know, when did we have that conversation? And if they, oh, don't you remember this confession last Saturday? Um, then you say, oh, you know what? Um, you, I can't mention anything in, that you gave me in confession, but again, if you want to share it with me now, we can talk. Something like that. Yeah, it's it's a that's a very interesting thing. But okay, so then let's let's get down into the into the um into the reality that um as you know, I wrote that book on confession, doing all these talks on it for I don't know twelve years now or, or more, and it it I'm trying to like say anecdotally, when when folks are engaging with me in conversation before or after the the session the the talks or whatever. They will say that it's it's that sense of shame. Mm-hmm. It's that sense of shame, not guilt, right? So guilt is, yeah, I, I know that I've done something wrong. Shame is, I can't bring it out into the open. That that I, I think that that's like a demonic way mm-hmm. to keep people in bondage to sin, because they they end up being stuck in a place of hiding because they're too afraid. To bring out into the open the, the 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 raw reality 
this is who I am and this is how I've failed to God because they feel like, why would God ever want to forgive me? Because I hate what I've done and I hate myself for having done it. I, I do think that there's a demonic element to that simply because I've seen so oftentimes when people do bring things into the light, a lot of the power, the shame, and et cetera, goes away. Um, I think that just simply stating it to another person is very powerful. Um, and again, the guilt, guilt, guilt sometimes is simply a recognition of a, of a broken relationship that, that, you know, I can be guilty of a sin. Um, but that, again, that's, that's a self-recognition in, interiorly. I think the shame in some ways always relates to others. Um, there's, there's a social, social context to this. Um, that is the, the society, or I, I, I haven't thought it out completely, but I do think the shame is I, I, can't, I can't show it to others. Um, I, I can't, because it, it, they would judge me and, um, I don't want that. I can't, I can't stand, I can't stand being that person. I may, I may be that person, but I, I can't, it's going to destroy me in terms of my, not only my interior self identity, which is the guilt sometimes, but the, the idea of the shame of, with other people and, and how that's going to change our relationship. But I do think you're right that again, the devil loves the dark and that's one of the, I, I, when I talk to people and little kids who are, who are approaching first reconciliation and their parents, and you know, we usually have these little talks uh, before first reconciliation. I, I say that's maybe that's one of the reasons that Jesus set it up the way he did in terms of having a priest present. And that's a problem. With, that's, that's a challenge with confession mostly is there's somebody else there. Um, there's another person who's going to hear this. And the little kids sometimes, or, or adults, and they're going to judge me or think worse of me or think less of me. And so, not to mention maybe tell. The little kids probably think I'm going to tell. I assure them I'm not. But, but that, that whole idea there of the shame that comes through that. And I, t- I tell them, well, you know, why did Jesus put this priest there? You know, we know he did, John 20. We can say that there's, a, there's a scriptural basis for it. But why might he have set it up so it's kind of challenging for our fallen human nature? And one of the reasons is it really helps to say something out loud. It, it actually helps uh, defeat the devil. In my uh, book on confession, one of the things that I talk about is the um, reality of peace that comes from confession. And we'll talk about that in a minute. We're up against our break. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel. This is Tom Curran, and you're listening to Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Father Nagel, we are, we're, we're focusing in on confession, and it, we're relating it to Mark chapter 3, where Jesus calls the man with the withered hand out from the crowd in the synagogue. We would call it out of the pew in the assembly. Mm-hmm. Right? So it'd be like you, Father, at, at Mass during the homily, all of a sudden just <laughs> pointing and saying, Jim, come here. Get, get out of the pew. Come on up front here. Okay, everybody, look at Jim. We're gonna, I'm going to pray for Jim right now for what he needs. <laughs> That's a pretty startling idea, huh? Right. Yeah, that, it, it would be very startling for the person. I've actually done that in a few kids' masses, believe it or not. I said, hey, I need a volunteer. In fact, Susie, why don't you come forward here? And, of course, Susie doesn't know what she's in for. Um, and so it's, it's never like it's, – it's rarely a good thing, um, for the, at least originally. But I always assure them. But what you're talking about would be very start, startling. And so, and so when you think about that, Father, um, the, the idea of God is that personal, that he, again, he sees us, he knows us, he calls out to us, he wants us to know that we're individually addressed, and we don't have to stay in a place of shame. Right. That shame is, if you will, the other side of the coin of guilt, that, yeah, we ought to be ashamed, but that shame shouldn't hold us back from coming to our Heavenly Father who wants to show us mercy even more than we want to receive it. And that we should have confidence in Jesus who died for us. And as you mentioned, Father, in John chapter 20, establishing 
that the apostles would continue this ministry of reconciliation, that Christ died precisely in order to bring us back into right relationship with God. I mentioned the word peace, and um, I know over some traditional confessionals, um, you know, the big old wooden ones where you go in the side doors, and mm-hmm. um, over them would be the word pox or peace. Mm. And it's such a striking, just, um, like a uh, kind of counterintuitive that right. we're about to go into a, a, a space where we're going to reveal, again, and reveal and accuse ourselves of the most shameful things that are part of our lives. And the word that is describing <laughs> what will happen in that box is peace. I just think that's so striking. You know, there's there's two kinds of peace. There's one that's pretty shallow and one that's very deep in terms of the confession. I, I've seen this oftentimes in first confessions, but or kids, and but but sometimes with adults as well. There's the peace of simply having finished a t- difficult task. Um, boy, I got through that. Um, oh, I had to do my first confession, and I get out of it, uh, and I, I said I did it, um, and now I'm done. And who? That was a tough one, but I I got through it, and it wasn't as bad as I thought. I mean, that's the superficial um, piece, but there's a deeper piece that's available. Um, that that the first kind of attitude really doesn't <laughs> doesn't really allow you to to experience, um, and that is that. I've just seen it so many times in my own experience of the confessional that, you know, there's tears, there are just deep sense of, um, again, I think that the idea of the, the sacrament being called reconciliation, that is bringing two people to peace uh, between themselves. And so when we talk about peace, we're certainly talking about God, right? We're talking about, I am now going to be at peace, God is at peace with me and I am with him, that there's going to be a, re- as the, sort of international law, a restoration of relationship, right? Uh, we're, we're no longer at war. Uh, it's, a one, it's a one-side war that I've, that I've turned my back on, Lord. But now peace is, has resumed, um, that there is now an exchange of relationships. And I just think it, it's a great term for it. Um, it's deeper even than sometimes I think people think of when they think of peace, think something, an absence of conflict. It's more than that, though. It's, it's even deeper. It's saying, you know what? I am God now. I are now one again. Um, peace has been restored. The war is over. Amen. I, and and you just said that language. What's the opposite of peace? War. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, am I at war with God? And am I making am I making myself an enemy of God through sin? That is just that's a real interesting way of of looking at it. Because like, we talk about spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. so I think about the idea of warring against the devil, but. I think in some ways I'm probably warring against myself through sin. I'm actually, you know, in the name of doing something that I think is good and positive, I'm actually at, at, at war within myself. There's also the rebellion. I think it, maybe that's a better word for some, that, that my sin is a rebellion against God. That's a great word. I Keep going. I love that word, rebellion. Go. Well, but I, I do think that that's what you're dealing with, and it goes back to this, this, this devil and his evil spirits, rebellion against God. So in that sense, I think it is a war against God, that I've joined their side, at least in terms of this sin at this time, in this place, um, me right now. doesn't mean I have to stay on that side. But the very idea that there is an order and a peace, and I've rose up against that uh, through my sin, that I have, t- again, as Augustine would say, a tranquility of order. I've, I've upset that. I've, I, I've, I'm, I'm staging a coup, if you want to say. I'm a rebel. Not, and that's not a good thing. Americans like to think rebels as being good things because we sort of started our existence in rebellion against the crown. But the truth is, um, the idea of going against the, the order of peace and tranquility uh, of heaven itself, that's what we're doing when we sin. We've joined the, we've joined the devil's army. Well, and I think about it, like, as you were talking, Father, I was thinking, doesn't like Romans chapter 7 talk about like this war within my members, yeah. right? The yeah. things that I, I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I do, I, I'm, I'm sorry, things yeah. that I do, I don't want to do, and the things I want to do, I don't do, and I, I hate myself for it, and that whole warring idea, is, is, it is in there in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. It is. So, well, today on Sound Insight, this is Tom Kernan with Father Kurt Nagel, we're, we're reflecting on uh, 22 years of Sacred Heart Radio being on the air, and using the the theme of Mark chapter 3, where Jesus calls 
the uh, man with the withered hand out of the crowd into the open and then not just performs a sign and a wonder, but makes this man a sign and a wonder. And I, I just think that that's a really powerful thing. And by the way, I'm going to connect this to Sacred Heart Radio because I, it, it, I, I know that one of the ways that I think about the call that you and I have, Father, when we're on the radio is to make the folks who are listening or to have the experience, for the folks who are listening to have the experience, that they're, they're sort of at the coffee table with us, mm-hmm. that they're not just in a crowd, anonymous, as you and I are talking, or when Father Lewis is here, or Father Northrup in the past was here, not just to have that sense of, um, I'm, I'm kind of eavesdropping, but no, rather they have a seat at the table, and, and that you, my brothers and sisters, are also being addressed. Uh, uh, you guys are always in my minds as we're talking to say, does that make sense to you, listener? You know, you're actually a, you're actively listening. You're active. You're an active participant, <laughs> full conscious active participant in in this show. That's how I look at it, Father. I don't know how. how when do you, do you ever think about it like that? I guess when I th- think about what we're doing this moment in terms of Mark three, I think what I what I hope happens is that people are called forward. And again, I've said this many times on the the show that I do know of stories that I've been told them of people who listen to your show and this radio station and they come forward in terms of RCIA, that they, that they are anonymous and they want to be anonymous because maybe their families are in a different tradition or they, they, they're, not, they're not anti-Catholic for whatever reason, maybe it's atheist, who knows. But it's hard for them to, to, to leave that, that group and to be able to come forward in any way. I think it's one of the things that this does is calls for, you know, I, I need to, Jesus is calling me, I need to respond. Now, maybe it's, RCI is really dramatic, but it could be some other way in which your faith is, is, is enlivened and the spark is given, and you take a step forward in terms of ministry or faith or belief or action in some way that you're being called, uh, that I hope that somehow the Holy Spirit can work through this show, just as Jesus that day called forth the man with the withered hand, that, again, the Spirit can reach uh, those who are listening. And, yeah, I, I step out of anonymity, and I step out of uh, all that sort of hiddenness, and instead I take a step, um, and I put myself out there somehow. So, um, so as we are exploring that, Father, on the radio, um, one of the ways that we do that is through the book club. And over the years, we have read so many books. Yes. Um, I was going to actually come up with a list. I think that there's a list somewhere. A list exists. Pam Gunderson has a list. The list. Pam was always so good about that. She was the, um, she was the heart and soul also, of the book club. She was the heart and soul of the book club. I was going to say she was the, the, the slave-driving pharaoh of the book club. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but she I'm did teasing. it nicely. I'm teasing. What but, I, what I, you're right. So what you're saying was she was a velvet hammer. She was a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good she way. Was, she did a, always a very good job at making sure that, okay, fellas, or fathers and Tom, what... What are we going to read next? Yeah. What are we going to read next? And she was, I mean, the book would show up in the mail and we get the book in time and we're going to lock it down. And, and she was, she, she was a, a facilitator. I think we, she, we she, probably averaged 10 books a year. I think you did. I think that's true. And now look yeah. at us. <laughs> Father, I don't know about you, but I have people say to me, Hey, when are you going to do another book? I so know. People, I think people do really enjoy the book club. I think that's a good thing. I think maybe we should get back to it, Tom. I think we probably need another book. Are you feeling guilt or shame right now, Father? Because I'm glad you come, you're bringing it out into the open. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's guilt, so to speak, but I think it's laziness. Uh, wow. In, in the sense that I, in, in the laziness, it's not that what we're doing isn't good, because I don't feel guilty like what the product's been. Um, I think it's been valuable. But I think that we, I just at least haven't taken the time to think of a book and do all the things that Pam used to do, which would, okay, let's get us all corralled, let's get a title, let's order it, let's distribute it, and let's set a date. I mean, that's what she was so good at. And I have been lazy about trying to do that. I just, I haven't done that. So 
that I guess that's why I said laziness. I and I not so much guilt though. I, I I guess I don't feel guilty, but I think maybe missed opportunity. There we go, missed opportunity. I was going to say lack of intentionality. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't tell me what's important to you. Let me see how you're living, and I'll tell you what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And basically, what we're saying is, the book club is not that important to us, just by how we've actually been living. Um, otherwise, we would have been we would have been better about doing it. We could always yeah. throw Ron under the bus since he's not here. Yeah, he's not here. Let's say, do that. You know, it's Ron's fault. It was definitely Ron's fault that, <laughs> that we're not getting more books done. But with that said, are there books that you found surprising, impactful, oh. memorable, or a conversation that that sticks out in your mind in particular? Here's one strange one. Um, Strange only because most people would not have required a book club for, to have read it. I remember the, the, uh, the Hollywood put out a movie about the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, and we started, we read a Narnia book. It might have been that one. And I had never read anything by C.S. Lewis and Narnia stories. And so that set me down on this. this I started reading those. And so I really liked them. Um, I, again, I was a grown adult guy. And, and yet that was a spark for me to... Uh, to reread those, not to reread those, to read those for the first time. I also, I, I remember there was that fellow that you knew personally that had that uh, near-death experience, um, right? I forget his name, to be honest. Uh, yes, um, yes, Dean, yeah, Dean and, Braxton. And that was an interesting thing, too. He's local, and he had this, this interesting experience. There are all sorts of books. I, I would not have read, some, I would not read many of those books if it, if it would not been for the book club. Um but they, I'm trying to think of other like the, theological books. I don't think I would have, I probably would not have read the, uh, the Hans von Balthasar. Not, and again, I don't have anything against him, Tom, but I don't think I would have read that without the. Uh, um, Was that Heart of the World? That I think one? so, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so there's lots of those books that, that I, it, some of them are very easy and enjoyable for me. Um, the history books tend to be, you know, 10, thing, ten history points that every Catholic should know or something like that. That was the first book that I ever, that I ever did on the show. And that was, I, I lapped that right up. Even the story that Pam did not like, but the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the, the conquest of Mexico by Cortez and stuff, I'm, that's all up my alley too, you know. Um, so some of them are easy, some of them are challenging, but I, I, I always enjoyed it. I think what actually, what probably is true for both you and me, Tom, is t- the issue of time um, in terms of I do have the time if somebody sets it and says, okay, now we'll go read this. Okay, uh, okay, I'll do it. But there's plenty of other things that are happening in my life. And if nobody's telling me to read a book, then that particular book, then I probably won't. And I suspect you're busy too in terms of not simply the mechanics of the logistics of that, but also to sit down and get it done. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, um, I got to say this, that in the last six months, I have made more of an effort, been more intentional about getting authors of new books on the air. So not in a book club format, but just during the week. Uh-huh. And um, I've probably done 20 oh, and, wow. and since the summer. So that's a lot of books to it read. It is, it is. But I have found that reading the book just enriches the entire experience of the interview. Oh, sure. And um, it, it's funny because I, could, <laughs> I think I could tell, without uh, throwing people under the bus here, that that there would be a difference in the level of um, engagement or input um, when one or other of us would show up at a book club without really maybe having had the time sure. to engage with the book well. Sure. So, um, so that was one. But um, I would say um, I always enjoyed teasing you about the book that you are famously or infamously oh, recognized yeah. as bringing to the table. You remember that book? Um, Hitchens, right? God is not great. God is not great. <laughs> uh, that that was a. I thought it, so. Again, I think that was, took the the book club in a little bit of a different direction in terms of expanding its boundaries. You might say, right? As opposed to something that we're recommending, something we're warning. Uh, because I think the idea was originally that we're going to read books that we can recommend to our to our listeners. Yeah. And that Absolutely. was one. Here's a book that people are talking about it, but we're we're going to tell you about it so you don't have to buy it. It more- I, yeah, I think that was it was great. It was it was it was great. It was great that we read God is not great. I, I think that 
it was important that we read that book and discussed it so that um, folks that are listening would have a way of getting some context for it. All right, Father, we're up against a break. When we come back, I want to mention a couple of other books and interactions around books that I remember and see if, if you can recall them too. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran, and you are listening to this program on Monday, but last Thursday was when we recorded it, and that was the 22nd anniversary of Sacred Heart Radio. So it's a, it's a time of real celebration and gratitude. We're very grateful to God for the gift of Sacred Heart Radio, the gift it's been in my life, in Father Nagel's life, and we hope in yours as well. So please continue to keep Sacred Heart Radio in your prayers. And as you discern and as you sense uh, a capacity to extend some of the stewardship that is yours, over the finances that God has placed into your hands, the, the wealth that God has placed into your hands, please consider making a donation, a pledge of financial support to Sacred Heart Radio. It is tax deductible. And uh, we at Sacred Heart Radio would be tremendously blessed to receive a share in your stewardship extended towards us. So I, I thank you for that. You can go to sacredheartradio.org, click on the donate button. Father Nagel, we're talking a bit about, we're reminiscing about book clubs. And I remember one, a book that we read. I don't remember the name of the book. <laughs> it was a book about uh, Father uh, Father um, uh, Father Barron, uh, now Bishop Barron, uh-huh. right? And it was, I think it was by John Allen. And it was kind of like an interview type book uh-huh. about his life. Do you remember that? <laughs> Boy, uh... I only vaguely that's now that you mentioned it, I can say, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. Um, I do, so I do. It's, it's, it was about evangelization, as I remember, the new evangelization. Okay, so that was the overarching theme, and I remember <laughs> there were two things that came out of the book uh, in our conversation. One that came out of the book, uh, and one was my characterization of it, because I think that to be fair, um, the the most critical voice that often it comes out at the table of these book clubs is, is I. I'm the one. That tends I, yeah. to say, hey, now wait a minute, there's some limits here. Right. And uh, I remember there was a middle section in that book where Father Barron, and now Bishop Barron, but then Father Barron was talking about prayer and his prayer life. And I just thought it was so weak compared to the rest of it. And I said, this is kind of an exposure, right? Because he's so mm. profound in all of these other ways. And now he, here he is talking about prayer life, and it seems to be so like, shallow in comparison. And I remember that we had another priest on at that time, and he was really upset at me. <laughs> and I, kind of, I kind of brought that up. He kind of took it personally. And I don't, do you remember that? A little bit, I do. Yes, yeah. I do. And then the other one was at the end, like in one of the last chapters, it was like, oh, Father, what's your legacy? You know, what about a movement that's kind of named after you? And, and his response was, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> 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 I just remember that, like, it was so discordant with my whole way of approaching, like, sort of the spiritual life. And, and, and you know, here's the then Father Barron saying, yeah, I'd be okay with that. And then, mm. um, you know, a movement coming, you know, sort of after me and my name and all that. And uh, <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I do. That he was talking about that, actually, I think. I think in the book he was talking about the community, as I recall. I don't know what's come of that. I can't say. But he, it, it was kind of a media-based uh, movement um, that he was, I think that was the original thought uh, about this. Um, that he was talking about a community forming one, and so maybe that I, again it's vague, but I think that's what the, where it was coming from, and he, that was you know he has his word on fire program and things like that, so um, I suspect that's where it was based from, but I, I don't remember the details, but I do remember it happening. Yeah. Well, the gift that Father Barron, no, no one has all the gifts, and uh, Bishop Barron certainly has a gift of teaching, uh, the ability to you know, bring to bear so many incredible insights from uh, our cultural heritage, our intellectual heritage, and letting those um, be used in the, in this at the service of helping people understand the faith, uh, embrace the faith, uh, and, um, and, and hopefully even apply the faith in their own daily lives. So, um, you know, Bishop Barron is, uh, he, he, produces a lot as a bishop 
which is amazing. So, you know, yeah. thank God for the gift that he is to this moment in history. So, Yeah, I wonder how that's... Well, Father, uh, yeah, are there any other books that jump out at you before I move forward? I, I do. Th- I think that it was good, though. I think it's been good that you you do call out. Um, you're very frank and honest about your opinions, which I think is a good thing. It's oftentimes reviewers, it's it's too much of a we don't want to ruffle feathers or thing because I do think it's it's helpful for everybody to have a conversation where. Um, you know, we speak the truth in all levels, uh, hopefully with charity, but still to be able to do it. I do think you are the best at that, and I don't think that's a negative. I think that it, on the whole, it's, it was a, a valuable thing. Um, so thank you for that. So the, the last book I want to mention is um, is the, the book that you referenced, which was Our Lady of Guadalupe and the, I don't know, the conquest of, uh, I don't remember exactly the title of it. I don't either. That book was so amazing. Uh, <laughs> And, and you could appreciate, I think, better than any of us because of your background with history. Yeah. But to show faith and recorded history connected the way that that book did, and it tipped over the apple cart of so many people's like way of looking at or approaching um, the reality of Cortez and, and who he was and what he was about and yeah. how he lived and what he did. It was it was eye opening. It was. I think. It, I think I said it at that time, but it, for me, it was. A, it threw me back to my middle middle school years when I discovered uh, Diaz is the the great source of the the conquest of Mexico by Cortez. He was a soldier with him, and he and he wrote an account of that. Um, not too many years afterwards, and so um, most of what we know about it comes from his. And I remember, in, I think in probably eighth grade, I, I found that book and I absorbed it. It was a fascinating account. You know, it, again, it's, it's a thrilling real life tale of this adventure. And of course, it, not always uh, acting according to what we would call modern um, just war theory uh, in, in any way. But it was this, this, it was. The <laughs> conquistadors had, had all sorts of problems, moral and, and otherwise, but the, just the, I you have to say I think the demonic element that was on, uh, with the human sacrifices going on there, and the idea of Mary being this um, the answer to that, and the the idea of uh, this is a way in which heaven is coming down and interacting with with uh, with human beings. I think it was a powerful corrective for thinking that you know nothing nothing good came from the faith coming to Mexico. Um, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, did a uh, a presentation that I, I watched, and it was about um, what was the theme? It was it was it was a it was basically a, a lecture presentation that introduced a book of his, and he referenced Cortez, and essentially what he said was Cortez came in and saw the magnificence of this culture of the um, the Mayans. Uh, I think it was the Aztecs. That would, Aztecs. The Aztecs, sorry, of the Aztecs, like this incredible city, this amazing thing. And he went in there and just destroyed it all. <laughs> and and it was a terrible thing, right? And and he he described Cortez's entire work as one of coming in and and being an ugly brute that destroyed something that was beautiful, rather than someone who was a um, a guardian and protector of what was precious, namely human life, and was overthrowing something that may have appeared to be beautiful, but in fact was brutal and ugly. I see it. I, I have not seen Malcolm, uh, I haven't seen that that uh, talk that you were giving. I see it more, God uses very imperfect instruments uh, in, in salvation history. I think the conquistadors, um, they, they were, complicated people. I think they were, you can't, they wanted gold, but they also wanted to bring the faith. It was a time of great, it was after the conquest, the reconquest of Spain from the uh, Islamic, uh, the Moors. And, and they were, again, this is, this is their period. They were on fire, so to speak. And so again, you could go to the new world with your sword do, hoping to get both, hoping to get rich and hoping to do God's will. And I think that, that they were both doing that. I think that the Aztec culture had all sorts of wonderful and beautiful parts to it, 
But I think deep in it at its core, um, I wouldn't want to live there. Uh, I would, I would, I would desperately not want to live there. And I, in that being said, as I said, the both both the Aztecs and the and the Spanish, they did not live and fight wars according to our just war theories. Um, there was there was that happening. There's also disease that the, the Spanish brought that was unintentional, but that really wiped out the Aztec people. It was more disease than it was the warfare. Um, that there was this again. There was this conflict. There was this coming together of these two cultures. But what I do think is, you can't look at the Mesoamerican cultures and and they're just deeply ingrained human sacrifice and say that it's okay. And, and that's really hard these days because we are so involved with the indigenous cultures and the injustices that the colonists brought were there. But you can't pretend that this was. N- was not deeply corrupted by this violence. So it's, it's complicated historically, but it's not like Cortez was always the bad guy and Montezuma was not. That's my take you know, as a Father, historian. Um, no, I love that. Uh, I appreciate you sharing those things with us today on the program. Uh, and I think that just, again, is one of the gifts that we strive to be here on the program and through the book clubs. We're up against a break. When we come back, Father, I want to talk about Um, the pro-life movements because of what's happening here today and and how you see gathering together with others as a real gift. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program in this final segment. I'm here with Father Kurt Nagel, the pastor of St. Monica's in Mercer Island and Sacred Heart in Bellevue. Father, we're at the time of the year where um, the, there's a lot of visibility around life, where we have a walk for life, a march for life. We have gatherings at state capitals, things of that nature. And it's one of those conversations that we typically have at the beginning of the year around this time, and that is the way in which you see participating in public events like that as something that's valuable, important. It can make a difference. And the blessing uh, that it has been for you and the blessing that you've seen it be for others. So, Father, what would you say um, around that whole theme of um, being involved in and participating in things like the March for Life in Olympia, the Mass for Life that that uh, I know the Archdiocese of Seattle has has held and sponsored for years, all of that? Yeah, it's a, that's an interesting question. I think we're at this, such a transition, uncertain time in regards to uh, the pro-life movement, just because of Dobbs, you seem it is a huge victory, and yet it throws everything into just a different light. For instance, I don't think there is a march for life this year. I think there's they're, they're thinking because our school was going to go down there and things, but I think they're thinking that maybe on the anniversary of Dobbs in, in the spring or something. Um, so that's that's all been changed, and I think there's a kind of a, a feeling on the part of the pro-life movement, or at least maybe not the movement itself, those who are deeply involved in it, but I would say the typical pro-life Catholic in the pew um, would be sort of, what do we do now? Um, the war's not over. In, in some ways, we won, which released a backlash, and now, and yet it's hard to get back excited because we won. You know, that kind of idea, but we didn't really win. Um, and so I think it's a I don't think we know where we're at right now in terms of what's the response and what's the action necessary now. We had a whole institutional buildup around March for Life, et cetera. I think that's in question now in terms of energy and something else has to happen. Maybe, again, there's going to be this pushback and maybe out of that will come a reaction. But so for me, it's, it seems like it's a, it's, it's a real um, twilight time. That's that's just my been my experience in the last four months. That's so interesting, Father. I I have not heard anybody say that. Um, it would have seemed to me to be like just that much more important to get together now to celebrate. Look, we, hey, we've done this for forty something years. Got together at the Capitol and been a sign, been a a witness to life, and now more than ever. We want to come together to celebrate the victory and to um, continue to be present to our legislators. 
and to let them know that the work isn't done. We are redoubling our efforts to continue to push forward. That, Something along those lines. But I mean, I think that's logical, but I don't think that's what's happened. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what's happening. I think there is a kind of um, just sort of treading water, thinking, what's, so what do we do next? We know how to protest Roe v. Wade. Um, now what do we do? Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that that's the, again, not the movement, but the, the foot soldiers of the, of the marches and stuff. I, it seems to me, I could be, again, I, I could be wrong, but it just seems to me just living for the last year or six, nine months since Dobbs, one of his, his put out, that there is a, kind of the winds out of the sails. And it, it, it seems crazy because, again, why not have momentum? But, but I think it's, it's kind of like the dog that caught the car. You know, okay, now what do we do? Um, we, we accomplished something that we didn't know whether we were going to be able to do or not. And so that felt really good. Um, but now where's the energy? Maybe we won the victory, huh? Well, you're right. It's not done. It's hardly done. And yet I don't, I don't feel the energy. You know, I think this is speculation that um, those who put the like, principal emphasis on the uh, the legality of Roe versus Wade mm -hmm. puts the biggest emphasis on the date, right? This is all about January 23rd, 1973, when Roe versus Wade became the law of the land. And so why get together around that date again when it's no longer the law of the land? Why, why are we paying any attention to that? Let's not do that. Versus, no, this is an opportunity to bring together those who stand for life and the gospel of life and want to protect the lives of the unborn. And let's highlight that. Well, and, and so it's less about, you know, the, uh, the, the date of a law being passed. And now that law is no longer even present, but rather it's kind of like, um, you know, the, uh, the march for racial uh, equality. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's less about a date and more about a movement. I don't know. That's just it's just sort of my um, my uh, my quick thought. Well, Father, we have about a minute left, and in that minute, I want you to 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 bring out in great detail all the ways that gathering at those marches has been an impact on your life. <laughs> Usually, been cold and rainy and wet. Um, I know, isn't it? I but it's been part of. Uh, I, I I do feel at the at. The, Dobbs, uh, uh, when it came out, a sense of victory and a sense of, you know, I'm, boy, I've, I've, it's been a long time. And it, it kind of proved that we can do things even against the current of society if we really get ourselves together. And so for me, it's, it's always been, that's been a date I've spent most of my day on, on a bus. Um, then I got out in the rain and then I got back on the bus. Um, but it's always good to talk to people about it and the people who are on the bus and so and on the steps. So. Um, I do remember it, and I agree that maybe we get something, something, uh, something going that's new that would just keep us going forward. And I, and I'm not the man probably to get that done, but somebody, I hope, will rally the troops. Yeah, amen. Well, Father Nagel, we're up against the end of our time. I really appreciate you walking with me through uh, memory lane a little bit and talking yeah. about the way in which Sacred Heart Radio. We strive to be a gift to you, to draw you out of the crowd into the open, to recognize it's Christ who wants to make you a sign and a wonder in our time. Father Nagel, thank you so much. God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Invite.